Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you do. And Lord, we don't want to forget everything that you've been doing behind the scenes. What, what, what uh, Elder Skibbenus had just mentioned about if you can't sleep at night because you're in fear or you're anxious or worried about something, instead we should turn our thoughts to what you're doing. And all the behind-the-scenes things you're doing, things we may not even think about or see during the day uh, because our mind is elsewhere on the, on the tasks of that day uh, and what, what we're facing that day. But at night, when our, when our minds won't turn off, Lord, I pray that you would remind us and you would turn our minds to thinking about all that you're doing in our lives and in our families, in our church, and in our world. Because you are doing a lot. I pray that you would open our eyes, open our spiritual eyes to see all that you're doing. Because you obviously have a reason for everything that we're going through right now this season of the pandemic and restrictions and uh, poverty and lack. Lord, we know that you still have a plan. You still have a purpose. And so I pray that you would open our spiritual eyes to see what that purpose is. And to, to pray along those lines. And to think on your goodness and to think on your faithfulness. And that that would fill us with your peace. Lord, we thank you for your word. It doesn't matter what season we're going through or what hardship we're going through. Your word always remains the same. Your word always remains faithful to the truth, your truth. And I pray that as we take a look at your word this morning, uh, that your spirit would go forth that you would work in our hearts as well as in the hearts of those who will be watching this later. That we may all not only learn something, but grow closer to you. That your seeds of truth may be buried deep within us and bear real fruit in our lives. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Over ten years ago, a social media phenomenon took place where people would post pictures that would fall under the term cake wrecks. Maybe you've seen some of these before. Uh, you know, when you go to a bakery or a grocery store and you order a cake and you tell the person behind the counter what you want written on that cake. You guys know what I'm talking about? I'm getting a lot of blank stares here. Everybody with me so far? Sorry, I was getting a little bit of feedback there. All right, so you go to the grocery store. So everybody's with me so far. All right, you go to the grocery store, you go to the person behind the counter, you say, I would like to order a cake. This is what I want written on the cake. So some of these employees in these, what are termed cake wrecks, uh, took what was said to them when somebody was ordering a cake, and they took that a little too literally. Maybe you've seen some of these pictures before. For instance, we have happy birthday, Adam, with blue flowers. Now, in all fairness, they did still get the blue flowers, all right? They still got those. Or, or, or this one, this next one. Happy birthday, Ashley, spelled with two E's. Now, the worst part about that is that they didn't even follow the instructions, right? Not only did they add the instructions, but they couldn't even follow them. Uh, next up is, the, is this gem here. Happy birthday. The picture is on the flash drive. My, my favorite part of that one is the emphasis on the pictures on the flash drive with that exclamation point. Just to drive that point home, to, to make that... To emphasize the already glaring mistake there. Now, I laughed a little too hard at this last one. <laughs> I want sprinkles. The, the worst part 
about this cake is that they were apparently very clear about what they wanted on the cake. What's missing? The sprinkles. All right. In these instances, the person who asked for something in particular certainly and pretty amusingly did not receive what they had in mind. We're going to be talking about a parable this morning where someone keeps asking for something. They keep asking for it, keep asking for it until it's received. And we'll see what Jesus' whole point of this story is today, how it connects uh, to our everyday lives. Similar to other parables we've been covering lately, this morning's parable is nestled within a broader context to which it's in inextricably connected. And no different from other parables, the immediate context is what interprets this for us. And just like the rest of the Word of God, the best understanding of this fits hand in hand with what the rest of God's Word teaches us. The parable we're talking about today is also a very famous one, much like the parable of the Good Samaritan we talked about last week. But the one, one that we're talking about today is very often ripped out of the context that I was just referring to, to mean much more than it was intended to mean. So we're going to see what the biblical understanding of this is and what inspiring and encouraging truth it conveys to us today. Before we jump into our parable, I just want to touch on what happens immediately before Jesus gives this story. So turn to Luke 11, if you haven't already, uh, if, you, if you brought your Bible with you. If you didn't, there should be one located in the pew in front of you. Please also turn to Luke 11, or you can look it up on, your, on a Bible app on your smartphone. I want to, everyone to skim over this as I summarize. So at the beginning of chapter 11, Jesus' disciples come to him and ask him to teach them how to pray. That's a very good question, isn't it? And it's one that a lot of people have asked uh, over you know, thousands of years. And, and most of us here, if we had the chance, we would ask Jesus, how should I pray? And we say, Lord, I know I must pray to you for my own life and strength and power and spirit, but how? How do I do that? How do I pray? See, a lot of people just think of God as this big vending machine in the sky. You ask God for what you want, and he's just supposed to give it to you. And if not, maybe you bang on it a few times until it works. In fact, a lot of people even take this one step further and base their entire faith on that one premise. If they pray for something, especially for a loved one, maybe who is near death, and nothing happens, what unfortunately ends up happening most times is they give up their entire faith because of that. And sadly, that's the story of a lot of people. Jesus responds to his disciples with a very famous, a very famous few verses, known to us today as the Lord's Prayer. You see that at the beginning of chapter 11. It starts with honoring God in his holiness. That's, that's how we're supposed to start each of our prayers, by honoring God and his holiness. We don't just barge into the throne room of, room of God with a list of demands. We must always start our prayers by honoring the holiness of God. And this is why. You know what that then does? It puts us in the right perspective 
of how we approach the creator and king of the universe, perfectly holy as sinful human beings, only saved from eternal condemnation because of his grace and mercy upon us. See, it puts the entire rest of our prayer into the right perspective when we approach the throne room that way. That perspective then directly informs our need to always ask him for forgiveness of our sins daily. Even as believers in Jesus, we will not be perfectly moral until Jesus comes back for us. So we continually need to confess our sins to God and ask him for his forgiveness from them. Not other people's sins, not our nation's sins, our sins. That's what we must come to God with each day. We know from Scripture that the sins we hold on to become a wall in between us and God, even after we become his children through salvation. That recognition of daily need for forgiveness flows into how Luke ends the Lord's Prayer, that we ask God for the power to not keep falling into those same sins or even new sins. As we see, most of the Lord's Prayer is addressing our standing before God, saved by the blood of Christ, and addressing Him with the right mindset. But what's especially important to the following parable is what's in the middle of this type of prayer. What does Jesus say? Give us this day our daily bread. That's what's nestled right in the middle of that type of how we should pray. It's this crucial and daily reliance upon God for the provision of our daily needs that Jesus focuses on with this following story. The way we need to view this parable is that it's an extension and it's a further expression of what Jesus has already divulged in his teaching on how to pray. It's not something new. It's not something we can just rip out of that context and make it mean whatever we want it to mean. It's directly connected to what Jesus has already talked about in the Lord's Prayer. So, let's pick up with this story in verse 5. Luke chapter 11, verse 5. Then he said to them, he's talking to his disciples. They're the ones who asked him how to pray. Suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a bread, for a loaf of mine has come to me from a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. All right, so what's going on here is referenced by biblical scholarship is that back in this time period and culture, the custom of hospitality was paramount. It was one of the most important things you could do as a person living in everyday Palestine at that point. It was paramount. Now, if someone knocked on my door in our time and culture at midnight, you think I'm answering? No, not at all. I'm not, I'm not answering. I lived and ministered in inner city Philly for six years. That's not happening. I'm not answering the door at midnight. But back then, in small Jewish villages, when people were not knocking on doors and then shooting through them, it didn't matter when people dropped in and were in need of shelter for the night. You were as hospitable as you possibly could be to them. That, that was the custom. So this one guy has a visiting friend drop by for the night. This wasn't at all uncommon when it took people days to travel from one place to the next due to the frequency with which inns would fill up 
or even were non-existent in some small villages. If you were on your way somewhere and you arrived at a village in which you had a friendly connection, you'd go hit him up. That's just what you did. In fact, it was expected. In connection to today, you might have, had, you might have a friend who, who needs a couch to crash on for the night. That's what is going on here. And this custom of hospitality, if a friend needed to crash at your place, you not only ex were expected to give them that place for sleep, but also to provide a loaf of, of, of fresh bread to eat. That was the custom. That's just the way it was. To not have that was extremely shameful to you, was extremely dishonorable to you. But here's the thing. We've referenced the denarius a lot lately, haven't we? As we've been going through these different parables. The denarius was a form of Roman currency that one would earn for a full 12 hour workday, and it was enough to buy bread for a family for that day. By the time we get to late at night, so this guy has worked all day, he's earned a, that, that denarius to buy bread for his family for that, one, for that day. By the time we get to late at night of that day, what isn't there any left of? Just simply from already feeding his family. Bread. That was just how it was at each day. It's not like the guy playing the host was irresponsible or was lazy and didn't work that day to buy any bread. His family simply had already eaten all of their daily bread that day. That normally wouldn't have been a problem because the head of the household would have earned another denarius to buy more bread the next day. But before that could happen, at midnight, in drops a family friend. The host just doesn't have any bread. So what does he do? He essentially employs the classic custom of going to his neighbor's door and asking for the equivalent of a cup of sugar. In this case, it's a loaf of bread instead of a cup of sugar, a loaf of bread. As one biblical scholar pointed out, especially in small villages, everyone knew everyone else. Everyone knew everybody else's business, and pertinent to our story, everyone knew who was rich enough to have extra bread at the end of the day. So the host goes to the house of someone well off enough that everyone in the village knew always had extra bread that day. He, go, he, he knocks on the door, and instead of the door being opened up to him, we read this in verse 7. And from the inside... He answers, this is the guy on the other side of the door, do not bother me. The door has already been shut and my children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. <laughs> now in a cursory reading, we might say, wow, what a jerk. I'm sure it wasn't even like the guy, the host was banging down the door and cursing out the guy with the bread until he opened the door. But this guy won't even open the door to see what he wants. You read that and you think, man, what is going on with this guy? What is wrong with him? But here's the thing. This is why it's important to study Scripture and study the world in which these Scriptures were written. As one biblical scholar pointed out, back then most homes were one-room homes. Anybody see where I'm going with this? So the children... And a family would sleep on mats on the floor in that one-room home. Still with me so far? Okay. The big bolt 
that locked a home's door for the night was cumbersome and made a ton of noise. If you remember, we already talked about that when we covered the parable on the lazy and irresponsible bridesmaids. Okay. Anyone here who has raised small children, let me ask you, when you finally get them down to sleep, do you want anything waking them up? Especially, what? Well, especially if it's not necessary. No, not at all, right? Okay. Not at all. Kids 2,000 years ago were not somehow genetically modified super kids who went to sleep immediately at their bedtime, who, who never threw curveballs at their parents. They were the same as they are today. They still took forever to go to sleep, and their parents still never wanted anything to wake them up and have to put them back down again. So I understand this second guy's response, the guy on the other side of the door. I get it. I would also be whisper shouting through the door for the first guy to go away and to not wake up my kids. I'd say, are you kidding me? Do you know how long it took for me to get these kids down to sleep? No, I'm not risking waking them up because you have a problem. Knock it off and get out of here. If the first guy simply gave up and left, that would be the end of the story. The disciples would be very confused, but that would be the end of the story. I'm not sure what the lesson of it would be, but it would be over. But the story isn't quite over yet. Jesus, then, as the narrator, laying out the lesson, reveals what happens next. Verse 8. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. See, Jesus' whole point here with this parable, he's already talked about how we should pray. Now his whole point in this parable is about persistence in those prayers. The first guy gives no indication that he's leaving. He's going to keep knocking. He's going to keep asking. So as noted by one biblical scholar, the second guy, knowing that the first guy's constant knocking and being vocal is going to wake up his kids anyway, decides it's better to just unbolt the door, wake up his kids, give the guy what he wants, and be done with it, and try to get his kids back to sleep again. In, in the second guy's mind, he's weighing his options. On one hand, unbolt the noisy bolt, perhaps only wake up one or two of his kids, get it over with, and get those kids back to sleep. On the other hand, trying to ignore that guy's constant knocking was just going to keep everyone up for the rest of the night. You see what his two options are here? So he goes with option one. Unbolts the door, shoves a loaf of bread through the opening. And that's the end of the story, as recorded for us in Luke. As pointed out by one biblical scholar, Luke often used bad examples to teach about what is a good example of something. In this case, it's the somewhat bad example of the second guy who didn't want to be bothered that Jesus will build upon as God the Father wanting his children to ask him to provide for their needs. Further on in verses 11 through 13. 
So Jesus uses the second guy who couldn't be bothered as the bad example to illustrate how God the Father is the good example of, want, of wanting his children to ask him to provide for their needs. And we see that later on in verses 11 through 13. But for now, Jesus immediately uses this parable to explain how we should pray even further. Verses 9 through 10. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Who's heard those verses before? Everybody here, right? These are some very famous verses that are also quite famously taken out of context. To understand these, like I just mentioned, we need to look at Jesus' portrayal of God as a good and perfect Father. In verses 11 through 13, which I mentioned a second ago, Jesus contrasts God as a good father to the guy who didn't want to provide for his friend's need. He says, which of you, even as sinful earthly parents, if your kid came up to you and asked you for either a fish or an egg, you throw at them a poisonous snake or scorpion in response? You can imagine a smile playing on Jesus' lips when he gives that illustration. It's so ludicrous that only a legit psychopath would respond in that way, right? Your little kid comes up to you and says, Dad, I'm hungry. Can you give me something to eat? And you say, ha, ha, and throw a scorpion at him. Only a legit psychopath would respond that way. And that's Jesus' point. Jesus will have a greater point to using these extreme examples, as we'll see in a minute. God is our Father, in this illustration, would act no different than good earthly fathers would towards their children when their children are in need. And in fact, because he's perfectly loving, will always provide for his children in need. As pointed out by one biblical scholar, look at what the kid in Jesus' follow-up illustration is asking for. And that unlocks everything we need to understand about ask and it will be given to you. And the parable Jesus just told. That tells us everything we need to know to understand those two things. What's the kid asking for? A Porsche? Winning lottery ticket? Is he even asking for a stick of gum? No. And in this historical context, he's also not asking for a coat of many colors, or a pomegranate pastry, or a ball made out of an animal bladder. He's not asking for any of those things. What's he asking for? A fish. An egg, a basic necessity. He's hungry and he needs something to eat. That goes directly hand in hand, all the way back to that line in the Lord's Prayer of, remember? Give us this day our daily bread. See, ask and you will receive, and knock and the door will be opened to you, has nothing to do with accomplishing our dreams or getting our dream job or getting our dream house, no matter what the preacher on TV says. In fact, as one biblical scholar pointed out, Jesus' focus in verses 11 through 13, especially when he goes so far as to ridiculously give a poisonous snake or scorpion as examples, is on the truth that God our Father, and I want, to, I want you to remember this, I want to be very clear about this, God our Father, 
will never give us something he knows will be harmful to us. Just as Jesus says in verses 11 through 13, just as a good earthly father would not give his kids something that he knows would harm that kid, poisonous snake or scorpion, our heavenly father will never give us something he knows will be harmful to us. I'm going to let that sink in for a minute. He'll use it to grow us, but not to destroy us. Let's go back to our parable. Jesus' point with all of this, with all of this in mind, is on our persistence in prayer. We can't just half-heartedly throw up a prayer about something one time and expect something to happen about it. And then get mad when nothing does. We must be as shameless as the first guy was, knocking and knocking and asking and asking. And just like the kid asking his father for something to eat, we do this in persistent prayer, in confidence that our Heavenly Father will give it to us. Anybody who has raised small children, when they say they're hungry and they want something to eat, do they give up on that? No, they keep coming back. I'm hungry. I'm hungry. I'm hungry. I'm hungry. Give me something to eat. Give me something to eat. I'm hungry. Now, obviously, you try to give them something right away when they say they're hungry. But they keep going, right? They don't give up on that. They just keep saying, I'm hungry, until you give them something to eat. In the same way, we pray in persistent prayer and confidence, our Heavenly Father will give that to us. But here's the crucial thing to keep in mind. If we're asking for something that's what's best for us, we persistently pray, pray in confidence if, we're, if the thing we're asking for is what's best for us. So, how do we know if that's what's best for us? How do we know if what we've been praying for for years is what's best for us? That's answered in Romans 12 too. And Paul says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. There's the answer. Right there. In plainest language we possibly could hope for. The more of ourselves we surrender up to the Holy Spirit's transformation, the, way, the more he'll change the way we think and how we view the world and what we deem important in our lives. And hand in hand, and at the exact same time, he'll transform us into seeing what he thinks is best for us. So, then just naturally, by having a supernatural source, what ends up happening is that we'll start praying for the things that God wants us to be praying for, and will eventually give to us. Do you see that? That's what gives us the confidence to keep praying for those things. As God is changing our mind to see things the way that he wants us to see them, our prayers start changing. And our prayers start changing to be more in line with how he's changing our mind. 
And then we, we can pray in confidence because we eventually know that God will give it for give it to us because we know that these are the things that God knows is what's best for us, and someday he will give them to us. If you stop and think about it, and you peel away all the confusion, it's really very basic, and it's really very simple when you think about prayer. So no, it's not something as simple as this. I want this, and if I pray hard and persistently enough, I'll get it. Does that go along with what the scripture, with, with, with what the rest of Scripture says? Does it? No. no, not at all. That's ripping verses out of context. But here's what Jesus' teaching does. It drives us to the Father. It drives us to seeking Him more and more. And seeking Him to transform us through His Holy Spirit more and more. See, we're not then focused on all those things we keep praying for. We're now focused on seeking more and more of the Father and seeking more and more of the Holy Spirit transforming us, which then changes the way we pray and which changes the things that we pray for. And isn't that what is truly best above anything and everything else for our lives? Seeking God more and more? That's how God sees it. In fact, Paul writes to the Ephesian church, that God's goal for us as believers is not for us to have every dream come true and not every wish granted. It's for us to be spiritually grown to the full measure of Jesus, not what we might think is best or what we want. As we grow closer and closer to God each day, praying along the same model as Jesus taught in the Lord's Prayer, our confidence in who he is, what he knows is best for us, and what we're praying for will also grow. You might say, I've been praying for, insert item here, whether it's better finances, or better health, or a better job, or a better home, a better relationship with a family member, salvation for loved ones, for years and years and years, and nothing is happening. I get that. I understand that. But in line with the rest of Scripture, here's another question we have to ask asking ourselves. How much have you been focused on praying for that thing? And how much have you been focused on simply seeking God and having a deeper relationship with Him and asking Him to transform the way you think and bring that more in line with how He thinks? What's our focus on? It's a good question. And it's a question we all need to pose to ourselves. Because if we do that, if we focus more on who God is, not on the thing we're praying for, and we focus more on having our understanding of who he is and surrendering ourselves for him to change, our confidence in him as a perfect and loving father will grow. And the things we persistently pray for will grow in confidence with the confidence in who he is. Again, if we focus on deepening our faith in God as our perfect father in general, primarily, we may grow to see that the thing we've been praying for hasn't come yet because it's not what's best for us. And you may see that. It's not what's best for us right now. It's not the right timing yet. And you would only understand that if you deepened your relationship with God. 
and you change the way you thought. <clears throat> maybe, it's, maybe we're not along in our spiritual growth enough yet to handle that yet. We couldn't handle it right now. But should that stop our persistent praying? Should that stop it? No. Because we have the confidence of knowing that God will never give us something that will harm us or destroy us, but only what will be best for us and only what will be best for our spiritual growth. So we keep praying in persistence and confidence in his goodness towards us. To anyone here who's raised kids, in, in any sort of form or fashion, if that kid asks you for a gift, it's not ridiculous, not without, you know, out of the realm of reason. You probably know in your mind that you're going to give it to them, but it's not going to be immediately right then and there, is it? You might tell them they have to wait until it's their birthday or Christmas or until they do a bunch of chores first. That way they're going to, when they get that gift, and they know they're going to get that gift, but there's some growing that happens first. They don't get that immediately. There's, there's a life lesson tied to that. Patience. Learning about delayed gratification. Being a wise steward or working hard for something. Right? We always want to attach a life lesson to that. In the same way, our Heavenly Father may know that He's eventually going to give us what we've asked for. So we show our confidence in His goodness by continuing to ask for it. But in the meantime, he knows that what's best for us is to wait a little longer, to teach us something more. In the meantime, he's growing patience in us. He's growing more faith in us. He's growing wisdom, wisdom in us. And he's growing a deeper relationship with us. Those who have been praying for physical, psychological, emotional, or spiritual healing for years... Keep praying. If you don't have that yet, it's not the right timing yet. In the meantime, surrender yourself to God's deepening his relationship with you. Know that he's growing things in you and revealing more of himself to you and deepening your faith in ways that simply would not have happened if he gave you what you prayed for right away. Take strength to see things that way, doesn't it? That's the truth. Sometimes as you ask God in the meantime and seek his transformation of the way you think about everything, he might reveal to you that you won't be healed in the way you cry out to him on this side of heaven. He might reveal that to you. That's up to him and what he deems best. And that takes a lot of strength to come to grips with. That's, a, that's really tough to deal with. And God will give you the strength to, to deal with it. If I can give you one important source of peace, it's this. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is coming back. Amen. One day Jesus is going to partially come down from heaven and shout with all his might, It's time, brothers and sisters, come on up. And when we hear those words and we're immediately caught up to meet him in the clouds, our bodies 
no matter how sickly or in pain or medically hopeless they are. And doctors say, there's nothing I can do for you. No matter how hopeless they are, they're going to be completely changed in the blink of an eye. Man, even if you die before that point, the dead for thousands of years are going to be raised for life. Raised to life at that point. You're going to get a brand new body. Perfect and free from disease, pain, and death. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. And with that body, you're going to get a completely transformed mind. And you're going to understand, finally, why God allowed certain things to happen to you and in this world. And we're going to be able to spend the rest of eternity in Jesus' presence, protected by his goodness and held in his love. On this Sunday before Thanksgiving, let us also be reminded of this all too important truth. Any requests we make have to be done in remembrance and gratitude for everything else God has already provided. How would you feel as a parent if your kid came up to you and asked you for something, you gave it to them. They didn't thank you. They didn't say anything. They just ran off with it. Then they came back to you again a minute later and asked you for something else. How'd that feel? Not too good, would it? God wants to hear our prayers like any good earthly father would want to hear his kids' requests. He doesn't begrudge us like the second guy in Jesus' parable today did. And he wants to hear how thankful we are for all the ways he's already provided for us when we present our new requests. He wants to know that we remember. We remember what he's already done for us. And when we do that, because not only does it warm God's heart, but it does something to us. When we do that, all that anxiety and fear, when we think about and we meditate on, we set our hearts on the things we're thankful for and all God has already done for us. And we set our hearts and minds on that. Guess what happens? All the anxiety and the fear and the discouragement starts to what? Melt away, doesn't it? And as that happens, God's word promises us that he will protect our hearts and minds with the peace of Jesus. Peace that humans cannot comprehend. And that's all wrapped up in these well-known verses. Don't worry about anything. Brothers and sisters, if you come to Thanksgiving this week in the year 2020, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. He wants to hear it. And thank Him for all He has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard, it will protect, it will stand watch over your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So, church, both here and watching online later, here in spirit, keep knocking, keep seeking. Keep seeking God. Keep surrendering your mind to his transformation. Keep thanking him for all he's already done. Keep thanking him to grow you in your faith. And keep waiting with confidence in your father's goodness. Know that we live in a broken world for now. And one day, all will be set right. 
all will be set right in this world, including everything about ourselves. We will get brand new bodies, and we will get brand new minds. God has already given us the greatest gift we could ever hope to receive, and that's himself. Be thankful for that. He has already given us salvation and redemption. Be thankful for that. He has already given us his Holy Spirit to indwell us and transform us. He has already given us the promise of eternity with him. Let us always remember these basic truths as we bring our needs with thanksgiving before our Heavenly Father. Think about all the many things we have to be thankful for. And in our prayers, let us remember this. What we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory God will reveal to us later. Keep that in mind. All creation is waiting eagerly for that future day. It's not just you. All of creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And I think we can all agree with that. And we believers also groan. It's true. Even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. This is all just real life. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including, there it is again, the new bodies he has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. You don't need to keep hoping for it. You already have it. When you gave your life to Jesus and you repented and you asked him for forgiveness of your sins, right then and there, you got this hope. You already have it. We already have something we don't need to hope for. It's already sure. We already have it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, what do we, what do we must do? Even though we don't have it yet, we must wait patiently. And this is what directly connects to Jesus' whole point in his parable. And confidently. We're going to get it. We're going to get it, brothers and sisters, okay? Let's just wait a little bit longer. We're going to get it. So, wait and pray persistently with that same patience and that same confidence with everything we pray for. For it's the same God who Paul will also say in this exact same chapter will work all things for good for those who love him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this encouraging and inspiring and promise-filled parable, along with everything that comes before it and after it. Lord, we thank you for teaching us how to pray, giving us a model, a type, to base our prayers off of, and to do so with hope, and to do so with confidence, and because of that, we do so with persistence. So Lord, let us be renewed. Let's go from this place or, or go from, from however we're watching this, with a renewed hope that you are our good and perfect Father. We can be confident in your goodness. We will pray with persistence, being confident in that goodness and in your faithfulness towards us. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.